This is Salt and Spine. Basically, the goal is is as immediate gratification as possible. My idea is you're craving a sweet and then actually you're eating that sweet in maybe a half an hour or an hour. Not the kind of thing where you're like, I think I want cookies. Maybe by Thursday, after I've rested my cookies for 72 hours, I might be able to have a cookie. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Jessie Sheehan. Now, she's the self-proclaimed queen of easy-peasy sweets, and you might know her from her earlier beloved cookbook, The Vintage Baker, or perhaps from her viral and energetic TikTok videos. But today, we're here to talk about cookbooks with Jessie, from how she developed a sweet tooth at an early age, to how she went from an actress, to a lawyer, to a stay-at-home mom, to now a baking inspiration and cookbook author. She cut her chops at Brooklyn's Baked Bakery and worked on their series of cookbooks, as well as a few others that we'll discuss, before she ventured into writing them on her own. Now, her first focused on icebox cakes, and her second book, this popular vintage baker book, brought to life vintage commercial recipes. And now Jessie's here with her latest book, Snackable Bakes, which again promises a hundred of those easy-peasy simple recipes for which she's become known. From sheet cakes to cookies to no-churn ice cream, it's got something for every sweet tooth. We have a great conversation. Let's head now to our virtual studio where Jesse Sheehan joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Hi, Brian. I am so excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. And um, just before we started, we were just talking about how your last book came out right as Salt and Spine was starting, and we missed each other then and did not have the chance to to have you on the show four years ago. But thankfully, four years later, you have another book, so we can we can talk to you today. Yay! Yes. Um, so we'll get to that book, Snackable Bakes, in a minute. But uh, as you know, we always like to start by talking a little bit about you and sharing more about your life and your career for our listeners before we dive into um, the cookbook side of things. So I understand that growing up, there wasn't a lot of baking in your house. There wasn't a lot of home baking. Is that accurate? That's 100% accurate. Um, I feel so badly and hope my parents don't think I continuously throw them under the bus because they were (laughs) wonderful parents, but they were not big bakers or cooks. So it's funny. I feel like I grew up in a family that cares a lot about food and we do, but not because we were spending hours thinking about what meal to bake or what, what meal to make or what thing to bake just because we loved food. And I grew up in Boston and there was lots of good food around and, um, uh, I feel like we were good eaters. We just weren't necessarily great makers. Um, uh-huh. But one thing my parents were very good at, so good, in fact, that I had to dedicate this this third book of mine to them because of this. They were very good about putting dessert on the table every night of the week. So despite the fact that they weren't making things, I grew up around a lot of sweets. So I feel um, I feel very indebted to them for, for helping me create... Um, kind of developed this voracious sweet tooth of mine. Um, But there was absolutely no baking happening. I wasn't even really a brownie or boxed cake girl. I I Mm. adored them. And I, and just for the record, I still love 
a, a, a cake from a box and a brownie from a box. I'll just yeah. say that. Um, but I don't, um, but it wasn't like my mom was buying tons of boxes and we were making cakes from boxes. We just, it just was not happening. We were eating Pepperidge Farm raspberry turnovers that were frozen mm-hmm. that you could heat up in the toaster. We were eating double stuffed Oreos. We were eating devil dogs. Um, and uh, I think we were eating some Chips Ahoy kind of thrown in for good measure. Yeah. I love that. That's also similar to uh, how I grew up in relation to sweets. Um, yep. We we loved sweets, but there wasn't a lot of home home baking going on. Um, and I did. I noticed that you dedicated your book, this latest book, to your parents for exactly that reason: putting sweets on the table every night, which you then say in parentheses means raising you right, which which I love. <laughs> um, when did you start to take an? Int- we'll get to you know your baking career and when when you joined Baked and started actually working and baking but when did that was there a moment where you sort of went from like i want a double stuff oreo every day which i also am a huge fan of love oreos right. was there a moment where you went from that to like i need to have a wonderful croissant yeah such a good question i'm gonna go with there was definitely not an actual moment i would say okay. what there was was the food the love of food that you know i had grown up with from with my you know my parents and my brother kind of translated like a lot of kind of um you know i don't know backseat food lovers like i started to buy a lot of magazines so i definitely was i you know i had a friend who worked at living and so i had martha and then i had martha's other there was a small little martha magazine back in the day called everyday food that i loved mm-hmm. um i think i probably had Bon Appetit or Food and Wine. Um, one of them, probably actually Food and Wine. I feel like there was a period of time where Food and Wine was the magazine everybody was buying, and it actually yeah. wasn't yet Bon Appetit. Um, mm-hmm. But so I, I had all the magazines, Brian, and I, I was in New York, and I um, you know, had the dining section of the Times every Wednesday. And so I kind of started to play a little bit with you know seeing a suite that looked good that was easy and thinking, Oh, I'll try that. I'll try that. And I would say that started to happen. I had two little boys at the time. So I would say right when I was like, um, kind of a young mom or that always seems like such a funny expression, but it's like a mom of young kids. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and, but not because I was interested in giving it to them because I was like this crazy mom who was like, kids can't have sugar. Even Uh though I'd been raised with like so much sugar, like classic mom move to like try to do something different than how you grew up. And then, and like now we all eat sugar together. So I don't know what I was waiting for, but at the time when they were really little, I didn't want them to have it, but I wanted to have it. So I started to, to play around with baking and making things for my magazines, etc. But it, yeah, it didn't really get amped up until, like you said, I, I started working in a bakery. Yeah. And so at, at that point, you know, you, you'd done a number of things with your life professionally. I, I know you um, were an actress for a while. You um, pursued a, a career in law for a while. At no point in that period of time, were you interested in becoming, you know, going to work in food? I know you waitressed a bit, right, as an actress, right. but like there was totally. no real vision for you that you'd become a food writer. A hundred percent not. And I have to say that even when I went to Baked, the, the bakery where I sort of got my start in Brooklyn, New yeah. York, even when I went to Baked, I had no idea kind of, I'll be honest, Brian, I didn't quite know what I was doing there. I kind of, I really wanted to learn what, if if they were willing to teach me, which they ended up being willing since I really knew nothing. And I really wanted 
to go there every day and learn more and more and more. I was super excited about the process, but I had no goals or no expectations. It's not like I said, oh, I think I want to do this because I might want to go to culinary school or I think I want to do this because I might want to open a bakery one day or write cookbooks or anything like that. I was a little goalless, as they say, or maybe they should say. Right. And and so you you do you approach baked um, this bakery in Brooklyn. Um, like I imagine, most restaurants and bakeries in the country they don't they don't let you bake right away, right? Just like they're not putting uh, you on the uh, line right they, away. They, they, yeah, they not only don't <laughs> let you bake right away. What was so funny about it also is that when I first went in, Brian, I was so excited that like I ended up leaving a note for the head baker who wasn't there with like a million exclamation points. I was like, I'm so excited, can't wait to do this. This is gonna be so fun. And of course, no one called me back. And then I went in, you know, maybe a week later and kind of like was a little more like cool Brooklyn style. And I feel like that went over a lot better. And they took a chance on me, which I also think is interesting because, and perhaps you would agree, I feel like now it would never happen. You you could, first of all, there would be so many, food is so hot and baking is as hot as anything. And I feel like, first of all, there would be no positions. And second yeah. of all, if they were going to fill them with somebody who wasn't you know, going to be paid or didn't really know what they were doing or wanted an internship, they'd use a student who was like trying to fulfill some credits at school. I just sure. think I was very, you know, people will ask me sometimes for advice. And I often, I always suggest this as a way to break in. But, um, but I do think it's probably harder to get an internship the way I was able to do that right off the street. Um, and you're exactly right. When I got there, um, they put me in charge of sealing bags of granola with a vacuum sealer, which I'm here to tell you, I was very, very bad at. Luckily, they didn't yeah. say she can't seal a bag. She'll never be able to bake a cookie. Um, uh, but they had me sealing bags and that was sort of, I can't even remember. Then they maybe had me wrapping loaf cakes in saran wrap. Like I had very uh, kind of, let's see if this person's, you know, a psycho or not kind of jobs, like where, you know, everyone was watching me. And then once uh -huh. I kind of proved that I could, I could handle the vacuum packing, I could handle the saran wrap, plastic wrap. Um, they moved me to very, you know, like, here's how you make a loaf cake. Here's how you make cookie dough, like really, really simple stuff. Um, yeah. But for someone who doesn't know anything, it was fascinating and, you know, new. And at that point, did you have a vision for your career? Like, was this, I know you had young, still youngish kids at the time, right? Yep. Was this? Uh, yep something you were still, doing with your free time like what was the objective still no vision but wanted to do it all the time like got super okay. jazzed by being there and then it was like the stars completely aligned brian because i don't know if you're familiar with the baked books but matt yeah. and the owners of baked put out some pretty spectacular books in the you know early 2000s um i think i probably walked in there in 2006 and they were working on their first book and what was so great is that they asked me as kind of more of a home baker, which we now we all know because I admitted it on uh, on radio, uh, that I wasn't really a home baker. I was just like a person, a home person. But, um, but they loved the idea of me testing recipes for their book because I knew a little bit about baking, but not a lot. And so I was going to be like the, the typical reader of the cookbook. And I just thought that was like the absolute 
best thing. Like I'm at home, but they're paying me. I get to make yummy things. Then I get to eat them. And I get to like access all my like pointy intellectual lawyer brain stuff and be like fastidious and very rigid about how things are done. And I loved writing notes and I wanted to write the whole recipe, but they were like, no, 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 we got that. We got that. Um, But I, I just loved the whole process of testing. And that's what I did for their first book. But soon after that, they wrote a second, a third, and a fourth, and they asked me to develop recipes. So it was like this whole love of cookbooks and this whole love of cookbook writing and testing and developing and digging into recipes in that way that only a you know recipe developer does. This love for all of that was, was born out of this amazing circumstance. And at that point, did it become pretty clear to you that that's what you wanted to do more so than work in a, a retail bakery? A hundred percent. And it just made more sense in terms of having a family and, and you know, because the hours, you know, sure. some mornings, it wasn't like 3 a.m., but I had to be there at 5 a.m., et cetera. Yeah. And then I also, what was interesting is that Matt Anato obviously had a literary agent. And what I all I asked of them was, could I be put in touch with your literary agent? Because perhaps that person is working on a cookbook that needs testing. Like that's all I think I was raised. Um, I don't know if this is a depressing thing to be raised with or or a, or a good thing. But the secret to life is low expectations. So, you know, again, you can see that as kind of a little bit sad, but I don't, I kind of, you know, you go in, you know, I didn't, my expectations, they weren't very high. And so everything that happened was like the most amazing gift, including going to speak to agents in their agency. And, you know, this should never even happen. But what ended up happening is one of the agents said, oh, I don't have any testing work, but there's this woman who wants to write this book on icebox cakes and she needs a person, a recipe developer to to develop the recipes for her. And that's how I ended up writing my first book, like just a hundred percent being in the right place at the right time. What happened to the other person? Did you take the project? She, she worked on it with me. So we're co-authors on my first book on icebox cake. Yeah. It was her, I think genius idea because I think icebox cakes are like, whatever. They're my everything. Um, And she just needed a person to kind of flesh out what the flavors were going to be and what the recipes were going to be and how we were going to organize it and all of that. And I was that person for her. And it was, you know, just an incredible opportunity to be like thrust into the cookbook world that way. Um, And the book was with Chronicle Books. And then I was able to write my second book with Chronicle again. So that, you know, again, um, it shouldn't work that way, you know, in general, as you well know, it is so hard to write a cookbook and it takes so much time and, you know, and people have to persevere and this and that. And I got very kind of lucky, um, et cetera, being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. The stars really did align for you there. They did. They did. Yeah. And and so then you, you had the opportunity to write your second book with Chronicle, which is yes. a, a beloved book, The Vintage Baker. Oh. And for folks who aren't aware of the vintage baker it really sort of came about because you had started at some point collecting these vintage recipe booklets right i think particularly from like 1920s 1930s to like 60s 70s that time frame can you talk about what drew you to those and what where that totally so it was like it was at the beginning of my time at baked so i was getting a little bit more like 
you know, it's you, you're put in a certain circumstance or you're doing something every day and then suddenly it, you see it everywhere. So I was around sweets all the time. I was loving making them. I was loving staring at sprinkles when I was vacuum packing those granola bags because there were sprinkles everywhere in the decorating uh-huh. section. And so I was just so kind of alert to sweets and desserts and pictures of them and thinking about them. And I was like, I think I dropped my older son and by older he was probably three and uh, at like an art class and then i was pushing a stroller around with my younger son who was probably one and um we passed like a thrift store in a part of brooklyn where this art class was and i noticed these kind of big containers on the floor of the art of the of the um junk store or vintage store um that had all these like kind of colorful cool whimsical looking little pamphlets and they all seem to have like pictures of cake or pictures of biscuits and i or pictures of candy and like my little uh-huh. my you know baking radar was like um, yeah. and i you know pushed the stroller into the shop like grabbed a ton of them um they tend some of them are more you know they're really nice like i have some very beautiful nice like nestle ones and some very rare ones that are expensive but in general they're very inexpensive i just grabbed a ton of them and came home and i what uh-huh. what what spoke to me about them was their simplicity because the recipes basically the booklets were an advertising tool so that people who were trying to sell like Frigidaire is trying to sell a refrigerator so it puts out a little booklet on lots of different sweets and treats and cooked things that you might need to put into a refrigerator or that you might need to put into a freezer same with like you know swans down cake flour a little booklet of all the different things you can make with cake flour so the recipes are all super simple and they're all really well tested because they were, you know, by these, the, the company's test kitchens. And um, they were a little light on salt, vanilla, like flavor, but uh-huh. I just fell in love with them. I fell in love with some, with the images and I fell in love with the idea of taking these kind of blank slate recipes and then judging them up in, in whatever way one might want to. And yeah. when I was, um, talking to my editor from Icebox Cakes about what my next book might be. It just, it wasn't even like I'd been sitting at home thinking I got to write a book about this, but I said, what about these recipe booklets? And it kind of still surprises me that it hadn't been done before. Um, But Mm -hmm. that's partly because you had, I had to get permission for every recipe I used. And that was a laborious process to say the least. Um, Sure. Yeah. Um, but, um, so maybe that's why no one else has done it, but it was just a great, it was so fun. That book was so fun to write because I just got to pull recipes from these great booklets, tweak them for like the 21st century baker, as I say. Um, and I just had so much fun with them. And what, what was that process like the, the tweaking and the modernizing of the recipes? Would you tend to make it as, as written and then go from there? Or were you like, by the end, you're like, it's, it's going to need more salt. It's going to need more vanilla. You kind of knew already, or how did that work? I would, yeah, I would say a bit of a combo. Um, okay. By the end, I definitely knew like, where's the salt here, peeps? Where's the baking? Yeah. I'm worried. Um, but in general, I always try to go from the recipe. And what I would also try to do is often they're repeated. So, you know, sm- you know, 
a hecker flour might have a biscuit recipe, but so does some all other all purpose, probably not cake flour, although I do put cake flour in my biscuits. So, but you, I would kind of look at different booklets and different companies and what was going on in that time period that, that people were doing and then see like, Oh, that's interesting. They're using buttermilk, but they're choosing to use heavy cream. I wonder which one I want to use. So I kind of was doing a little bit of a mixture. Um, but there were yeah. certainly things that I just knew I had to do, like you said, like the vanilla, like the salt, like a little bit more spice to, you know, I, I'm, I tend to be for better, or for worse, a little extra as it is. So I'm always the person who's <laughs> like, what? Only one teaspoon of vanilla? I think we need two. So it made sense yeah. that I would be like half a teaspoon of cinnamon. No way. How about one yeah. and a half? I love that. Were there any that you came across any recipes that didn't need modernizing to you that you know and he's like this is like a true classic don't don't mess with it or i mean like a yes a hundred percent like a chocolate cream pie i just feel like Uh this is a brilliant recipe i changed it like i would change things by you know maybe i didn't think we needed to have an actual pie crust and we could do it with a cookie crust so i could you know kind of shift things around to simplify them and also just to make them sort of a little bit more up my alley or what i thought was up other people's alley but yeah something like the filling of a chocolate pie with like lots of billowy whipped cream or meringue to me, that's like, yes, they're a little, you could put a little espresso powder in because it'll bloom the chocolate and make the chocolate a little brighter. You could do melted chocolate plus cocoa powder for even more chocolate, but really like those old school recipes, brilliant love, like don't Uh want to change a thing. Same with like a classic. uh, I have a cake in the book called the silver cake with pink frosting. Um, and that's just like a yeah. classic, beautiful, like, like white cake. And I just feel like that, you know, you don't have to, there's you don't have to play that much with it. That's going to be a beautiful cake, no matter what. Sure. How about any that were just like flops? Like, I, I don't know. I think about that era and I'm like, you know, cottage cheese and jello molds or like 100%. anything that you just like, I can't I mean, touch definitely <laughs> the jello stuff. Like I was so intrigued stuff, yeah. by the jello and I have so many beautiful jello um, booklets, but it was hard to figure out how to, how to incorporate, um, how to incorporate jello in a way that I was going to be excited about or anybody else was going to be excited about. Um, I know I succeeded, but now I can't think I, this is what also happens, Brian. I hope other cookbook authors tell you this. It's like you write your recipes and then you forget you ever wrote them. So you're like, huh? (laughs) I wrote, Uh like sometimes I stumble on something online. I'm like, I wrote that. Oh, very nice. Good job. Yeah. And and it's funny to me. Some people will, people will think that you just know all of them by heart too. Right. Like I'm sure you pull out your own books all the time to to make from. Yeah. A hundred percent. So those those um, pamphlets were were really you know they reached a lot of households in those decades yeah. and they were really that was where a lot of people turned for recipes. They've kind of gone by the wayside a bit. I know some sometimes you'll still see one right like you buy a Vitamix and it's probably got one. There's some totally. appliances that you'll get. Maybe air fryers these days are coming with them. Have you looked at any of the modern ones to kind of? Well, look? you know, it's funny. I totally have, and um, yeah. but I'm focused on the sweets ones. So I yeah. feel like sometimes in the grocery store, it might not be with a product, but it's the same kind of idea. You'll see like a little booklet that Nestle put out around Christmas of all the things to make with with Nestle semi-sweet chocolate chips. And I buy them immediately, Brian. I love them. 
I don't even necessarily bake everything from them, but I find them really inspiring. I really do. Like not inspiring, like, that's so great. I'm so glad they thought of it. They're brilliant. Not like, you're great. More like, oh my God, that's such a weird, cool idea. What can I, which I guess is the definition of inspiring. I don't know why I'm trying to backtrack here, but you know, I read it and I think like it might be a little over the top, but like this layer of, and again, this is totally my speed. It's not everybody's, but I'll be like, Ooh, a layer of marshmallow. Then there's some chocolate. You're adding nuts. Like this got a Uh graham cracker crust. What is this? I need it immediately. So I definitely still will buy them if I see them in the grocery store. And I do feel like that happens around the holidays. Yeah, uh uh-huh, definitely around the holidays. You're a big marshmallow fan. I am. Oh, my God. As I said the word, I thought, oh, my God. (laughs) Yes, I I saw your eyes light up. (laughs) Just the thought of a marshmallow. Um, so before we get to your latest book, I know, you know, you worked with the the folks at Baked, um, Matt and Natto, and working on those books, you also started to work with other authors, right? You worked with Deb Perlman, you worked with Snoop yep. Dogg. What was that process yep. like to learn how other people approach their books and to adapt to different cooks? And totally. Bakers? So with Deb, um, and I'm so grateful for this opportunity because she became a friend, which is super, mm-hmm. you know, she's like OG and everyone loves her. And I'm, yeah. I love her. But anyway, with Deb, what's kind of cool is Deb's agent is in the same agency as my agent. So my agent, the, the, Deb's agent had just called me and said, you know, Deb needs some help. It was the, not, she has a new book coming out, but this was for her second book. She needed help with a big, she has this incredible cake spread in the book, a big photo of it, and then all these different cakes and mixing up frostings. And she really just needed um, someone at home to make all that stuff, bring it to her house and help her get through this photo shoot. Um, okay. And it was, an inc- I mean, oh my God, Brian, inc- like dream come true. Can you even imagine? I was just like over the moon that I had this opportunity and to see her at work and to, um, you know, help her. And, um, the, the whole thing was incredible. And then like, she had her big, um, like launch day party at Barnes and Noble. And she was interviewed by Amanda Hesser and I made tons of cookies for the event. So she gave me all these kind of jobs around her book and you know learning from dad and and then this last book i um i was going to test a lot of recipes for her but then i got my own book deal and wasn't able to but i tested some recipes for her for this book and you know she's just you can imagine she's just an absolutely well i think she's an absolute genius and she's unbelievably meticulous and Mm -hmm. you know when you work for people that have really high standards i mean i already think i have high standards but my standards are like like on my roof, like on the roof, like I just, you, you want to rise to the occasion of what this person is asking of you. So I try and hope that I do really good work. Not that I don't do good work for everyone, but she makes you feel, you feel extra special when you work with her. And she also, this was kind of fun. She had me, this wasn't for a cookbook, but she had me convert some of her recipes to the instant pot when it got really um, popular. Cause I adore my instant pot. So that was a fun exercise too. Um, to do with her. And then the Snoop Dogg thing, it sounds so sexy and fabulous on my website. But the truth is, um, Chronicle did that book. And so they asked me to develop, well, I hope it's okay to say this, Snoop did not develop every recipe in that book. I helped him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I think it's they were all, yeah, they were all Snoop's ideas, of course, and things I'm sure he loves. But some of them, um, and again, I can't tell you everything, but I know I made pancakes for Snoop, and I made um, eggs and biscuits for. There were a number of different recipes that they had uh, me help out with a cheesecake, um, and it was a super fun. Uh, experience and um i have a copy of the book i love it um but uh but i didn't really get a chance to be like snoop i think we need to put more salt in this (laughs) snoop was like no jesse we're not gonna do (laughs) (laughs) you're not as buddy buddy as as he and martha Uh -uh. yeah exactly exactly well that that leads us to your latest cookbook snackable bakes um which I just want to start first by asking, like, how do you define snackable bakes? I pulled sure. I pulled your definition from the book, but tell us what a snackable bake is. Sure, I will. So for, the first thing I want to say about a snackable bake is it does not have to be baked. It's a, it's a sweet mm-hmm. or a treat. Um, in this particular book, there are no savory recipes, though I'm thinking you could have snackable savory treats. Um, sure. But in this book, it's a sweet or a treat, um, a, a sweet treat. And um, it is one that has a very, sh- the recipes for snackable bakes have very short ingredient lists. All of the ingredients can be found in your pantry. They have very short, a, a very short, easy to follow list of instructions. Ideally, every recipe is going to be on one page. It's not, a snackable bake is not a situation where you're turning page after page to figure out wh- when is this recipe finally going to end and when am I going to be able to mm-hmm. eat this treat? Um, yeah. Uh, it is, um, it is something that can be assembled in 20 minutes or less. Many of the recipes can be assembled. Many snackable bake recipes can be assembled in less than 20 minutes. And the, the, basically the goal is, is as immediate gratification as possible. My idea is you're craving a sweet and then actually you're eating that sweet in maybe a half an hour or an hour. Not the kind of thing where you're like, I think I want cookies. Maybe by Thursday, after I've rested my cookies for 72 hours, I might be able to have a cookie. That, that was sort of what I'm trying to avoid. Same thing with pie dough. You know, my pie doughs in my book call for melted butter because I don't want anybody having to make their pie crust, maybe make a mistake making their pie crust, then rest their pie crust, then freeze their... I wanted to take away all of the resting, the creaming of butter. I'm um, A snackable bake will not require you to pull out any fancy equipment because I... I don't know what it's, I don't know what it says about me, but like, I see my stand mixer and I like, I tear up, not in a good way. I'm just like, oh gosh, (laughs) too much to clean, too annoying. Oh my God, turn it on. Then you got to clean the mixer if the flour goes everywhere. We'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Snackable Bakes author, Jesse Sheehan. Don't go anywhere. Hey there, cookbook lover. Are you subscribed to Salt and Spine on Substack? If not, you should be. You'll find our full catalog of podcast episodes featuring more than 100 in-depth interviews with top authors like Nigella Lawson, Jacques Pepin, Samin Nosrat, and Carla Hall. And for just $5 or less per month, you'll also get access to hundreds of exclusive featured recipes from top cookbooks. You'll get early access to our quarterly cookbook club and author dinner parties, and so much more. At Salt and Spine, we bring cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. Join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content. Find out more at saltandspine.substack.com. And now back to our conversation with Jesse Sheehan, author of Snackable Bakes. It's really interesting to see this 
book because I'm wondering if it comes from anywhere, the idea specifically, like if something prompted it, because I think we've spent two years in a pandemic and we've seen both sides. We've seen people who want to have sourdough starters and bake their own sourdough and take on a 72 hour cookie project. And then we've also seen that, you know, people just want fast and easy and it's hard times and you want a cookie or you want a brownie or you want a sweet. So is there something that you know, prompted this book or is that coming, is that inspired by or fueled from something you it, saw? It's so interesting. It's it, the, the book originally, right after I wrote the vintage baker, um, I had a new idea, which is, was a one bowl baking book. And I okay. was, I'm obsessed with one bowl baking. I love one bowl baking. It was like the vintage baker was an, uh, I, you know, whatever I love writing cookbooks. So I loved that process, but the recipes are a little, some of them are a little fussy for my taste, Brian, I won't lie. Like, you know, Uh because I was slightly hamstringed by the recipes in the, in the old fashioned booklets, it meant like if I was going to do a custard pie, um, and this, or here's a good example. There's a a chocolate Bavarian pie in there. You know, Bavarian pies are, are, um, are set with gelatin. So, you know, I wanted to do what was done originally and use gelatin. But gelatin, I find it a little fussy. It's not my favorite ingredient. It, on the day-to-day, on the regular, I'm not like, hmm, I wonder which recipe calls for gelatin. I want to make that one. Just not yeah. how I roll. So yeah. I do feel like there was part of me after the Vintage Baker, which was like, I want simple. I want to do really simple things. It's I, I was realizing about myself, it's the way I'm baking. When I'm, you know, as a cookbook writer, you're we all want to promote each other, other cookbook writers. So I'll make recipes for my friend's books when I get sent the book. And I'm always looking for the shortest recipe in there. Obviously I want it to be sweet, but I, I just realized this is what I'm now drawn to. Like, Oh, aha, this is what I like to make. Maybe other people feel similarly. The one bowl baking book just couldn't get off the ground. There was a lot of interest from a great publisher and then it didn't happen. And then, um, you know, and then I sort of put the idea on hold and just, you know, you know what they say, grow your platform. So right. then I spent some time, you know, just working on, you know, just work. I, I develop recipes for different online sites and for the Washington Post. And I just worked on my sort of general career stuff as opposed to book writing. And then, as you said, the pandemic hits and it's like, oh, could my Wumble baking idea maybe have a second life because we're now in a different place? And, um, you know, I was basically, basically, I, I feel like I wrote my one bowl baking book. I'm just calling it something different. And I'm getting to write this easy peasy, this, you know, tome of easy peasy recipes is what I've always is what I have wanted to do for the last few years anyway. And you're absolutely right. It kind of, I think is hitting a nerve um, with the fact with people who, who are just like what you said, they're either the sourdough peeps or they're the easy, I want a cookie, I feel a little sad, or a little this, or a little that, and I want it now. Um, and I also yeah. think we can we can be both, because I won't lie, I, I, I went down the sourdough rabbit hole, um, and I still sure. love, I haven't done it in a little while with book promotion and everything, but I love doing that. But that's like my limit for a project bake, because at least that is like three ingredients, like and water is one of them. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So um, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's not even three. Oh, no, yeah, water, salt, and uh, and flour. Um, but, but yeah, I feel like it's hitting a nerve now or, or will, or was, 
Um, but also just to be true to myself, it really is the direction I was headed anyway, in terms of where I wanted my recipe writing to go. Yeah. I mean, this is, sounds really funny, but I'm sure you've, you talk to cookbook authors all the time. So I'm sure you understand this. It's like, it was such a pleasure to like remake one of these recipes or, you know, to promote the book. I did lives, you know, two lives a week for a month with different, you know, friends, influencer peeps. It was so easy right. because every single thing I was assembling was took no time. And even baking off a swap for the live was, was so easy. So, yeah. Right. You know, that's a little behind the scene, maybe a little BTS. Um, but huh. there was just this sense that, that wow, this is like, I mean, I'm getting so excited right now as I'm talking to you about it. But like, yes, this is how I like to bake. And this is how I think other people might like to bake. Yeah. And when we, when you talk about hitting a nerve, by this point, you had already sort of begun your foray into TikTok too. Uh, I think you Very started true. right before the pandemic, right? Like Correct. Like videos. literally like two weeks before the, or, you know, we were all like, what is this thing everyone's talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So, And I think, you know, we see, I, I spent, I'm terrible at TikTok, at making TikToks. We started a salt and spine TikTok. Everybody should subscribe. Um, yes. But I'm terrible <laughs> at making them. I consume way too many. And it yeah. feels to me like the things that go viral, you know, there's beautiful TikToks about labor intensive cooking and baking yeah but the things that go viral the recipes that go viral are the like quick feta and tomato pasta i made like, it i made great. it yeah the th and they're fast and they're easy yeah. and so i think yeah. this book sort of fits totally in line with that and and i'm curious what else you've learned from your tiktok success like you i i yeah i couldn't agree with you more i feel like that's what goes viral on tiktok and that's yeah. because i love recipes like that i'm like i am totally making that feta and tomato or you know mm -hmm. a host of other things i 100 percent right. agree with you i um you know i i joined the platform as just like because a media company i was working with was like will you come and make tiktok videos with us and i was like talk tick Okay, you know, announced <laughs> yeah. to my kids, I'm going to make toxic videos. They're like, Mom, what are you talking <laughs> about? Um, and literally, when I made my first one, and you know, it was kind of perfect because they were like, I was like, What should I make? And they're like, Something easy. So I was like, How about the fudge from the vintage baker, which is mm -hmm. very easy, um, probably the only easy recipe in there. And then um, I said, What about Rice Krispie treats? Because I love Rice Krispie treats, and I think I had just developed a recipe for like Chow Hound. Uh, uh -huh. Rest in peace, Chow Hound. But um, back then, Chow Hound was still around. Mm -hmm. And um, they said, great, bring those. And and then I think maybe the third one was like, have you ever had these? They're so good. You take a pretzel, you put a Rolo on top, you know, those chocolate caramel candies. Yeah, mm -hmm. You stick it in the oven for like three minutes until the chocolate gets melty. Then you put a toasted pecan on top. You press it in, Brian, O-M-G. You yeah, let it come to room temp. It it, oh, my God. And it's incredible. So oh, I'm good. making them tonight. <laughs> yeah, you amazing. should. You should. My uh, wife loves Rolos, her favorite candy. Oh, she does? Oh, my God. This yeah. is the perfect thing for her. Yeah. Um, anyway, those were like my first three TikTok videos. Easy, fast, uh, fun. Um, although in some ways, I think what people responded to was not necessarily my the recipes I chose, but because I acted a little bit like a lunatic when I was telling when I was on the video telling people about the recipe when when I got into the studio and I was all my fudge ingredients were mise en place and I was like so what do you want me to do and they're like talk fast 
And I don't uh-huh. know what happened to me, but the, with the direction talk fast, I was transformed into some other like kooky lady who did a fair amount of yelling and some like crazy hand and arm motions and um, like a TikTok persona was born. And yeah. what was crazy about it is I expected to, you know, the plan was I'll come every week and we'll make TikTok videos for this company and then I'll put them on uh-huh. my feed too. But sure. we, I never went back because then the pandemic happened and I was at home with my family, but I continued to make them on my own. And the personality that I kind of developed in those original um, videos kind of, you know, became like the thing. Um, and although it was fun while it lasted and it totally grew my platform and, you know, I have like over 200,000 followers, but it yeah. was so exhausting. I couldn't, I couldn't sustain it. And yeah. I feel like TikTok, which is like probably like all of the platforms, but it's fickle. Like for a while there, people loved my videos. And so I did really, really well on the platform. But then what I noticed is, you know, when I got on the platform, oh, an older mom, like running around making TikTok videos, like I was, um, I was an aberration. People were like, what is going on? So I also think that was part of the appeal. And then, you know, a few months later, everyone was on TikTok. Like it was transformed into a platform that everybody was trying to be a part of. And I think, you know, when you're the first, you get a lot of attention because people are like, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. But then it became harder to get attention because there were so many people. Like, I don't even think there were that many recipe videos in the beginning when I was first on it. It was much more music and kids. Um, But it was hilarious, Brian. People literally would comment like, oh, grandma, oh, auntie. Like I was so much older than anybody they had ever seen. They were like, Nana, you're going to hurt yourself. Like the comments were hilarious. Yeah. And what did what did your kids think, right? Because at first they rolled their eyes oh when you God. said talk tick. I but mean, then and you son, had this like success. Yeah, my bit. older yeah. son was never he was never a TikTok guy, so he just was like, you know, talk to the hand. He was not uh-huh. really interested in hearing about it or watching them. I think he was embarrassed. Um, my younger son um, was a sport about it. I don't think. I don't know. They're not the kind of kid. They weren't like proud of me. Like, Hey, everyone, that's my mom. Cause like, they're cool. Right. Like they grew up in Brooklyn. They're like, cool dudes. They're not going to do that. But my younger (laughs) son was definitely supportive. And actually for a period of time, um, in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, was filming them for me. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Cause it's, you know, I have to say that's another thing that's tricky about TikTok. It really is great. If you have someone there when you're doing a recipe video to like move the camera around and, um, it can yeah. get a little stale, but I'm so, I'm not lazy, but Brian, I don't want to like stop, change the camera angle. Now do some, I just want to get out there and do my recipe, chit chat right. and be done. Right. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yes. Well, I want to get to our, our game because we always end with a little game. But before we do, I want to ask you, since you know we always ask people about their favorite cookbooks or books that have been really influential to them. Of course, you have this trove of vintage books from um from those you know 20s to 50s eras but are there other books that have been influential to yes. you that people could pick up yeah i have a little pile of them right above me but i love uh-huh. um there there are one two three four there are five of them but i love um dory's uh original baking book i think yeah, she called Dory it Greenspan. Does she call it yeah does she call it ba- it what I'm seeing on the just on the spine is baking, but it might be baking with Dory. I'm not sure, but it's her yeah, older it one, not 
uh-huh. not one that came out recently. I love, again, old, old book of mine, Baking Illustrated. It's Cook's Illustrated's baking book. Genius. And as a recipe developer, and I think maybe particularly baking, but maybe uh, savory cooks feel the same way. That's like a Bible because, you know, they, they've they like, you know, they've made everything a million times and they've made it perfectly. And so, sure. you know, if you're trying to figure out like, why isn't mine working? Oh, I have so much baking soda. They're only using an eighth of it. You know, I, I love that book for reference. Sure. Um, I love Martha's baking handbook. Um, yeah. Again, it's an old. I think they're all probably a, from around. I would say late nineties. These books, maybe early two yeah. thousand. Um, but I love her um, baking handbook. Um, and then my fa- well, actually, I actually have two more: the King Arthur Flower Baker's Companion, the mm-hmm. old one, and then finally, um, I always make mess up her last name, but Baking Wise by Shirley Coraher, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's a scientist. um, Well, I don't think she's with us anymore, but she was a scientist and then a baker. And it's just brilliant in understanding why things work and why they don't work. And I love that book for those reasons. So that's my list. Those are great recommendations. Well, we end with a little game. So um, I've got our secret ingredient cards here today. And I love that earlier you said perhaps there could be a snackable savory bake too, because I can't guarantee everything in here is going to be sweet. So um, I've shuffled these and we'll draw from, draw from the stack. But I think the question is, you know, this concept of easy peasy, utterly scrumptious 20 minutes or less recipe, what could we make with X secret ingredient? How does that sound? Okay. I love it. All right. But I'm very nervous. <laughs> Let, oh, well, look, I think you actually, this is totally random, but I think you'll be happy with the first choice and no need to be nervous. First choice okay. is peppermint. That's totally random, but it oh. uh, looks like little peppermint, um, the little circular peppermint patties, the hard ones. Oh my gosh. I'm like in heaven. Um, I hope <laughs> it's okay if I pick a recipe from my book. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh give us Oh my god, my pep- my my no churn peppermint stick ice cream. Brilliant. Yes. Brian, I think I might be your favorite cuz you like <laughs> I don't know how you pick that, but something that worked so out there. The stars for aligned for you once again. <laughs> so no churn ice cream, I'll just tell people briefly if they don't know, is the easiest peasiest way to get ice cream in your belly, homemade ice cream in your belly pretty pretty fast. Um, And it's basically a can of sweetened condensed milk and a couple of cups of heavy cream. And you're whipping your cream and combining it with the sweetened condensed milk and then zhuzhing it up with whatever you want to zhuzh it up with. I tend to do a little bit of salt, vanilla. In the instance of my peppermint stick ice cream, I do peppermint extract. And then I do a tiny bit of um, red food coloring because I do love the pink of peppermint extract. And then I take those candies on that card and I crush them up and I fold them into the ice cream. That's perfect. I'm so glad Yay! that was the first one and you could you could share a recipe from the book but we're going to do another one or two cuz we got to we got to okay. give you a little bit more of a challenge. I'm not I'm not trying to stump you but oh okay here's here's one. Um scrapple. Are you familiar with scrapple? Oh my gosh, so yummy. Um scrapple is like a pork product that you slice right. and fry. Oh my god, I'm in heaven. I love scrapple. Yeah. Um, okay, what what okay, do we do? I, What's a snackable bake for it? Okay, I'm gonna do a scrapple biscuit. So I'm gonna make like a soup. I'm gonna I'm gonna cook my mm. scrapple. I'm gonna fry it. I think you can break it up and almost make it like ground it, yeah. or even like Chopped tiny little bit, pieces. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then I'm gonna make a um easy peasy biscuit dough. 
Um, I don't even have a biscuit in my cookbook, so this is totally off the cuff, but I'm going to make an easy peasy biscuit. I'll probably do a buttermilk biscuit with, um, with a lot of butter, obviously, and, sure. um, and buttermilk and maybe I'll even do a salt and pepper scrapple biscuit. So I'll have salt, I'll have pepper, I'll fold in the scrapple, mold my biscuits, bake them off. I think the scrapple, like the fat and the scrapple will mm. like wonderfully flavor and give so much moisture to these biscuits. I can't wait to eat my salt and pepper scrapple biscuit. That's great. I love that one. Okay. <laughs> one more. Let's, let's do a final okay. one. Let's see what we've got okay. here. Um, okay. Sea urchin. Oh gosh. Um, I think I'm a hundred percent stumped. Um, That's a hard how do one. people even eat them? Do they open it up and eat out the insides? You eat, you eat the inside. Yeah. You know, they're really spiny and pokey and it's the in, inside there that you eat. You crack it open. Strong ocean flavor, sweet, briny, and creamy. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, could I have it? I'm, I'm, if I'm going to, it's going to be a savory, it's going to be a savory yeah. snackable bake and I'm going to. Well, here's an interesting idea. Let me tell you what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of how you could take a little toast. You could put a dollop of creme fraiche or cream cheese on it, and then you would put some caviar on it. I uh, wonder if you could do something with sea urchin, because they said it's oceany and briny, and that yeah. makes me think of of caviar um, or even like a, like a tinned fish kind of situation, but we would be putting the sea urchin on top of either our creme fraiche or our cream. I mean, I know some people are like cheese and fish you can't yeah. do it but don't don't tell those people not to listen to this part of the podcast <laughs> yeah no that's great I've, I've actually had a sea urchin toast you could totally do it it'd be delicious yeah oh good that's Yay. That, that's great uh well this thank you for for playing along no need to be scared those were all excellent answers um and okay, thank good. you so much jesse for joining us this was so much fun oh my god brian the time of my life i had so much fun with you thank you it's so great and that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our Substack, saltandspine.substack.com. There, uh, paid subscribers will get access to a featured recipe for a strawberry sheet cake from Jesse Sheehan's Snackable Bakes. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also leave a rating on iTunes or join the Salt and Spine community on our Substack. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Clea Worster. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering both digital and in-person classes for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonimo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia at Omnivore Books, and to Monique at Hardcover Cook. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love.